This audio production is presented by David Warden Coaching and by Human Kinetics. Save up to 30% on all triathlon titles such as Triathlon Science, Complete Triathlon Guide, and Championship Triathlon Training at www.humankinetics.com by signing up for their free HK Rewards program. TriTalk presents Triathlon Science, edited by Joe Friel and Jim Vance, and read by the co-author, David Warden. Chapter 17. Flexibility and Core Strength Theoretically, flexibility, or range of motion, should have a positive, direct correlation with improved athletic performance and injury prevention. Intuitively, a triathlete's ability to maximize movement should result in increased power, particularly for cyclic disciplines such as swimming, cycling, and running. Additionally, because soft tissue injury is caused almost exclusively by pushing a muscle or joint beyond its strength or range of motion, increased flexibility would theoretically reduce the risk of injury. Empirical data on flexibility, however, present a complex and sometimes contradictory picture. Often developed concurrently with flexibility is core strength, or postural stability. A popular concept among triathletes, its role in injury prevention appears positive. Although flexibility may lengthen the lever, core strength appears to play a crucial role in stabilizing the lever. Research suggests that a triathlete's performance can be improved when specific, but not all, joint and muscle groups increase in flexibility. Although stretching appears to offer little in terms of injury prevention, it does offer other limited benefits. Additionally, a core strength program appears to provide significant benefit in terms of injury prevention. Flexibility and Performance To illustrate the inconsistent relationship between flexibility and athletic performance, the flexibility of over 200 elite athletes, including 90 Olympians, was compared with the total body flexibility of non-athletes. Elite male athletes in sports such as basketball, soccer, judo, rowing, and fencing were found to be less flexible than, or equal in flexibility to, the general public, whereas swimmers, cyclists, and tennis players were found to be more flexible. Elite female athletes in swimming, but not in cycling, showed increased flexibility. The researchers concluded that only swimming appears to benefit from an increase in flexibility across genders. Although increased flexibility appears to lead to increased performance in some sports, the trend is not universal. Variations also occur by gender. Because the focus of this book is triathlon, let's review how flexibility affects performance in swimming, cycling, and running. Swimming. Whether evidence is considered anecdotally or empirically, swimming performance and flexibility appear to be directly related. Unlike cycling or running, during which the legs are rarely required to extend to their fullest reach, outstanding swimming requires maximum length and reach of the arms to lengthen the lever. In freestyle swimming, limited shoulder flexibility results in a low elbow during the recovery phase of the stroke. The effect of drag in swimming is so great that even ankle flexibility is required to produce a streamlined lower leg and pointed foot. Additionally, the ability to whip the foot across a wide arc during a flutter kick adds propulsion to the swim. A 2009 study found a direct correlation between ankle flexibility, flutter kick speed, and 50-meter swim times, and knee flexibility, or the ability to hyperextend the knee slightly, is directly associated with swim volume. 
Although swimmers would theoretically benefit from flexibility in multiple joints and muscles in the upper body, the primary areas of focus should be the ankles, lats, shoulders, pectorals, and knees. See the section Sample Flexibility Exercises for good stretches to try. Cycling. Unlike swimming and running, empirical literature on the relationship between cycling and flexibility is scarce. Among coaches and elite athletes, there is a common anecdotal belief that flexibility of the legs will allow an increase in power. For example, tight hamstrings could theoretically restrict the downstroke of the pedal cycle, or even more likely, they could reduce the speed with which the leg can reach the bottom of the stroke. This same logic applies to the soleus and gastroc muscle of the lower leg. As referenced earlier, a correlation exists between flexibility and elite male cyclists, which proves a compelling case for flexibility in cycling. Most research on flexibility and athletic performance focus on the relationship between flexibility and propulsive force. In cycling, however, triathletes have another unique benefit from flexibility unrelated to propulsion. The ability to maintain an aggressive aerodynamic position for 30 minutes in a sprint distance triathlon to over 6 hours for a long course event has a direct effect on cycling speed. Flexibility in the back, shoulders, and neck allow an aerodynamic and comfortable ride. In addition, inflexibility in the aerodynamic position, which leads to discomfort or pain, could reduce overall power output when cycling. The primary areas in which to focus to improve flexibility in triathlon cycling would be the shoulders, hamstrings, and lower back. See the section Sample Flexibility Exercises for good stretches to try. Running Perhaps no discipline has more conflicting data on performance and flexibility than running. As with swimming and cycling, at first glance it appears logical that increasing the range through which force can be applied should increase propulsion. But multiple studies support the theory that the unique biomechanics of running may require a decrease in range of motion for maximum economy and performance. For example, a review of 34 international runners measured age, height, body mass, and trunk flexibility, or the sit and reach test, and correlated those measurements with running economy. Although no correlation was found within that group between aerobic running economy and age, height, or body weight, an inverse relationship was found between economy and flexibility. The least flexible runners were also the most economical. The researchers theorized that stiffer musculotendinous structures reduce the aerobic demand of submaximal running by facilitating a greater elastic energy return during the shortening phase of the stretch shortening cycle. This study was repeated in 2009 using subjects 10K running times, and again, an inverse relationship was found between the sit and reach test and running economy. This inverse relationship between running economy and flexibility extends to more than just the trunk. For example, runners with decreased range of motion in standing hip rotation and dorsiflexion of the foot, or the toes pointed outward, also have an increase in running economy. The theory is that the stiff joints lead to increased storage and return of elastic energy and minimizing the need for muscle stabilizing activity.
Other research on the effect of flexibility on running performance is more ambivalent. Male and female runners adding two hours a week of stretching to their regimens for 10 weeks were compared with male and female runners who did not add the stretching routine. Although the stretching group was able to increase their sit and reach test by approximately three centimeters over their non-stretching counterparts, the stretching group exhibited neither a decrease nor an increase in running economy. These previous studies focused on the effect of general, long-term flexibility on running economy, but we also want to know about the effect on performance of static stretching just before running. Multiple studies have looked at pre-run static stretching and come to the conclusion that although pre-run stretching does temporarily increase range of motion, it has no effect on subsequent running economy. The argument that flexibility can improve running performance is mostly speculative, but that speculation is logical. As previously mentioned, if flexibility increases the range of force, or produces a longer lever, then the action is more energy efficient. Other theories also support the link between flexibility and performance. For instance, because run speed is a result of both stride rate and stride length, flexibility could allow the triathlete to increase the length of the stride. Tight hip flexors could cause a reduction in stride length, but an increase in stride length could theoretically compensate for any elastic muscular energy efficiency lost in those more flexible muscles. Good running form also requires a sustained forward drive on the part of the end of the foot. The longer the forefoot can drive forward before leaving the ground, the longer the overall stride length will be. If the toes leave the ground too early, forward thrust and distance are reduced or may even be channeled upward instead of forward. For the foot to maintain a longer plantar flex, or the toes pointed down, in the foot strike cycle, it must have adequate range of motion. Conversely, inflexible ankles could result in premature separation from the ground and reduce stride length, as illustrated in figure 17.2. Can upper body range of motion also affect stride length in running? A compelling theory by Pritchard is that if a runner's foot crosses over the midline, the total run distance is longer. Any path taken by the foot or leg that deviates from a straight line in the direction of desired travel could add several centimeters per stride, and those centimeters would add up. Over the course of a 10K run, for example, two extra centimeters per stride at 620 strides per kilometer would add 124 total meters of running. Pritchard postulates that although there could be multiple causes for crossover, one cause is upper body torque. Upper body torque occurs when an inflexible shoulder or pectoral pulls the upper body back along with the swing of the arm, causing the opposing leg to cross over in a compensating movement. A triathlete who implements a performance-motivated flexibility program should therefore focus on the plantar flexation of the ankles, shoulders, pectorals, and hip flexors. See the section Sample Flexibility Exercises for Good Stretches to Try. Considerations for the Triathlete the conflicting information on flexibility and performance is particularly challenging for a triathlete because the three disciplines compete with one another in terms of ideal flexibility. How does the triathlete decide between increased dorsiflexion, which improves the kick in swimming, but causes a reduction in running economy? Will the decreased hip rotation correlated with better running harm swim performance? Would it be better to keep trunk flexibility limited to maximize running and accept the potential trade-off of reduced cycling power or aerodynamics? 
Although significant research supports decreased range of motion in the lower body for increased run performance, equally compelling evidence supports increased range of motion to improve performance in all three triathlon disciplines. When all is carefully considered, the best choice for triathletes is to incorporate a flexibility program into their training, targeting the joints and muscle groups linked to performance in swimming, cycling, and running. Finally, if all other risks and rewards are relatively equal, the decision for a triathlete on flexibility could reasonably be based on just one consideration, potential injury prevention. Roles in Injury Prevention In 2003, the University of Heidelberg surveyed 656 active Ironman triathletes. 75% reported experiencing at least one injury during their times as triathletes. Because this number included all injuries, including bruises and abrasions, the rate does not seem unexpectedly high. But when limiting the scope to include only injuries to muscles, tendons, or ligaments, the rate was an alarming 62%. Considering that regular runners have a muscular tendon injury rate of 65%, triathletes, despite lower run volume, are at about the same risk of injury as pure runners. Although the Heidelberg study covered injury rate over the entire career of the triathlete, a British study found a 37% injury rate over just eight weeks of triathlon training. Because of this extraordinarily high rate of injury among triathletes, the prevention of injury and the resulting increase in the ability to train could play a major role in the improvement of a triathlete's performance. The triathlete should consider potential injury a real threat and look for methods to reduce its likelihood, which may include flexibility. Flexibility linked to injury prevention. Although many factors influence rates of injury in triathlons, including age, training volume, and intensity, evidence shows that under certain conditions, flexibility could play a role in injury prevention. For example, over 200 college athletes in various sports were tested for flexibility in the iliopsoas, IT band, hamstring, rectus femoris, and gastroc muscles. At the end of the season, a direct correlation was found between injuries sustained during the season and pre-season tightness in males, but not in females. Because this study included athletes from disciplines other than swimming, cycling, and running, it may not be sufficient evidence for pre-season flexibility in the triathlete in and of itself. Further research about flexibility and injury prevention also indicated a correlation between stretching and injury. Although stretching before exercise reduced injury, the link was limited to female cyclists only, and the benefit was isolated to groin and buttocks conditions. Plausible reasoning stands behind the theory that an increase in flexibility should reduce injury. If the fibers of the muscles are compared with the fibers of a rope, it is easy to accept the analogy that a more flexible and pliable rope would have fewer fiber tears when stretched. If soft tissue injury were caused exclusively by a combination of lack of strength and lack of flexibility, it would make sense that an increase in flexibility would decrease injury. Flexibility not linked to injury prevention. Ample research, however, indicates that stretching offers no benefit in reducing injury. Although the assumption that flexibility was linked to injury prevention had been ubiquitous among athletic professionals for decades, it came into question as early as 1998 with this statement from the American College of Sports Medicine. There is a lack of randomized, controlled clinical trials defining the benefit of flexibility exercises in the prevention of musculoskeletal injuries. As a result, a flurry of studies on stretching and flexibility took place over the next decade. 
Perhaps one of the best studies was presented at the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons 2011 annual meeting. Half of 1,400 runners were introduced to three stretches for the quadriceps, hamstrings, and calf muscle groups. The stretch time was three to five minutes immediately preceding running. The other half performed no stretching before running. The researchers concluded that there was no difference in injury risk for these two groups. Reinforcing this theory is a review of 361 studies, or a meta-study, related to stretching and injury prevention. This panel of researchers also concluded, based on the combined data from these hundreds of studies, that there was no link between stretching and an increase or decrease in injury. Unlike the study of 1,400 runners, which focused on stretching before exercise, this meta-analysis reviewed stretching both before and after exercise. Additional Flexibility Considerations These studies would seem to be a devastating blow to the flexibility camp, but some additional points need to be considered. First, note that no evidence in these studies indicate an increase in injury linked to stretching. Although stretching does not seem to offer much benefit regarding injury prevention, it seems to present little risk. Additionally, because some previously cited research does support preseason flexibility as a way to mitigate injury, the scale would seem to be tipped in favor of at least preseason flexibility to combat injury. Although the focus of this chapter has been the relatively narrow effect of flexibility on performance and injury, flexibility can provide other benefits as well. In his book, The Science of Flexibility, Author Michael J. Alter argues that the benefits of a flexibility program include a wide range of research-based outcomes, including relaxation, relief of low back pain, and enhanced sleep, all of which significantly benefit triathletes. Additionally, the studies that refute flexibility for injury prevention also tend to be limited in scope in terms of muscle groups, focusing largely on the hamstrings, quadriceps, and gastroc muscles. In some circumstances, flexibility in other muscle groups plays a critical role in the prevention of injury. For example, an established treatment of IT band syndrome, a common injury among runners and cyclists, is an increase in flexibility of the IT band. Ober's test, which tests shortening of the IT band, is a reliable method to confirm the cause of knee pain linked to IT band syndrome. Stretching is also a key consideration in both prevention and treatment of Achilles tendinopathy. Although increased risk of injury does not appear to result from either stretching or not stretching, there does appear to be a risk in rapidly changing an existing stretching program. Runners who usually stretched and were then assigned to a no-stretch group had a 40% increased risk of injury, and non-stretchers who were assigned to a stretching group had a 30% increased risk of injury. In other words, no difference in injury risk occurred in either the stretch or no-stretch group, but risk significantly increased if the runner abruptly adopted or abandoned an established stretching routine. Similar to flexibility relative to performance, flexibility relative to injury prevention is equivocal in the data establishing benefits and risks. It is the author's opinion, based on available research, that the benefits, not limited to injury prevention, of a general flexibility program outweigh any risks. The most promising and logical strategy to reduce injury through flexibility is to increase slowly and then maintain general flexibility through stretching frequency and duration. The stretching should take place after, not before exercise. Core strength. Core strength, or postural stability, is a mature concept. In the 1920s, Joseph and Clara Pilates opened a studio in New York City. Their method, which they originally called contrology, 
focused on core postural muscles that help keep the human body balanced and provide support for the spine. A triathlete's core has since been commonly defined as the transversus abdominis, multifidus, internal oblique, paraspinal, and pelvic floor muscles. See figure 17.20. A broader interpretation of the core is any muscle in the region between the buttocks and chest, which would include some muscles below the pelvic floor, such as the gluteus medius. Although the link between postural stability and performance was assumed for decades, it was only recently revealed that the co-contraction of the transversus abdominis and multifidus muscles occurred before any movement of the limbs. In other words, all movement starts at the core. Core Strength and Injury Prevention Most research on injury prevention associated with core stability or strength is linked to the reduction of chronic low back pain unrelated to exercise. But some research indicates that core strength prevents athletic injury as well. Subjects with specific knee pain demonstrated 26% less hip abduction strength and 36% less hip external rotation strength than similar age-matched controls who did not report knee pain. The collapse of the hip when running because of poor lower core strength is thought to place the knee in a misaligned position, adding stress and increasing the risk of injury. A similar study was done among college track athletes. Researchers found that athletes who did not sustain an injury over a season were significantly stronger in hip abduction and external rotation, and the researchers further concluded that hip external rotation strength was the only useful predictor of injury status among this group of athletes. Another common running and cycling condition, IT band syndrome, was found to be directly related to weakness in the gluteus medius. In this study, females with IT band syndrome were able to lift only 7.82% of their body weight through hip abduction, compared to 10.19% for non-injured female runners. Injured males scored even worse, lifting only 6.86% of their body weight compared with 9.73% for non-injured males. The injured runners were then enrolled in a six-week standardized rehabilitation protocol that directed special attention to strengthening the gluteus medius. After rehabilitation, the females demonstrated an average increase in hip abductor torque of 34.9% in the injured limb, and males had an average increase of 51.4%. After six weeks of rehabilitation, 22 of 24 athletes were pain-free with all exercises and able to return to running. At a six-month follow-up, there were no reports of reoccurrence. Further research reviewed the reoccurrence of hamstring injury in relation to a complete core strengthening routine. 24 athletes who are suffering from an acute hamstring strain, including 10 triathletes and runners, were placed into either a core strengthening program or a hamstring strengthening and stretching program. The core strengthening routine consisted of a full regimen of core exercises, including side steps, crossover steps, multiple bridges, and push-up stabilization with trunk rotation, allowing the complete range of core muscles to be exercised. In the first two weeks after returning to their sport, the re-injury rate was significantly greater in the strengthening and stretching group in which 6 of 11 athletes had re-injured the hamstring. None of the 13 athletes in the core strengthening group had re-injured the hamstring after two weeks. After one year, the re-injury rate was again significantly greater in the strengthening and stretching group in which 70% of the athletes had re-strained the hamstring, but only one athlete in the core strengthening group had re-injured the hamstring. Even further evidence indicates that core strength is associated with other athletic maladies that would, on the surface, appear completely unrelated. 
One example is exercise-related transient endominal pain, or ETAP. These painful side stitches, characterized by a sharp, localized abdominal pain, plague runners of all abilities. People with poor posture, a weak core, were more likely to experience ETAP, and the level of pain is directly correlated to posture. The worse the posture is, the more severe the ETAP pain is. Although the link between core strength and hamstring, knee, IT band, and ETAP may seem unrelated at first, it is consistent with the theory that all movement starts at the core. Thus, the core exercises are strongly recommended for triathletes of all abilities to mitigate a wide variety of potential injuries. Core Strength and Performance The research on core strength is almost exclusively linked to injury prevention. Few significant findings correlate core strength to performance other than finding that all movement starts at the core, which does not necessarily imply a link between core strength and performance. One study did find an impressive 30-second improvement in 5K run performance. The overwhelming evidence, however, suggests no link between core strength and performance, including research on swimming and running, which found no performance improvement after incorporating a core stability program, and additional research that found no link between core strength and run performance or general functional movement. Certainly, a reduction in injuries would have a positive effect on endurance performance by allowing the athlete to perform a greater volume of high-quality training. But a reasonable expectation is that core strength would positively affect the biomechanics of a triathlete's swim, bike, and run discipline, and thus improve performance. The technique described in Part 2 of this book could not be executed properly without core strength. For example, the proper running posture described in Chapter 6 could not be maintained indefinitely without core strength to support the position. Without core strength, an ultimate breakdown in form is likely during this last and arguably most difficult portion of a triathlon. Because of the unique nature of swimming, in which the triathlete has relatively little resistance for the limbs to utilize, the core theoretically becomes the primary mover. Even without a strong empirical link between core strength and performance, the argument for core strength to improve performance through biomechanical efficiency is reasonable. Conclusion Although limited empirical evidence supports the notion that stretching and flexibility prevent injury, the evidence shows that a consistent stretching program does not offer any risk and may provide at least some benefit. Triathletes motivated by injury prevention would be better served by adopting a core strengthening program which has a well-established link to injury prevention. In terms of endurance performance, swimming speed is closely correlated to flexibility, but running performance appears to be inversely related to lower body flexibility. The relationship between cycling performance and flexibility is ambiguous, as is the link between core strength and performance. This concludes the audio presentation of Chapter 17 of Triathlon Science. For the complete publication, visit humankinetics.com and sign up for their free HK Rewards program to receive 30% off this title and other great triathlon titles, such as Triathlon Anatomy and Triathletes in Motion. This has been a presentation of the TriTalk Triathlon Podcast. Although the assumption that flexibility was linked to injury prevention had been ubiqu ubiquitous, ubiquitous, did I really use the word ubiquitous? Seems a bit snobbish. For example, an established treatment of iliotibial band syndrome. Iliotibial band syndrome. For example, an established treatment of iliotibial band syndrome. 
For example, an established treatment of ilio... Oh, come on. For example, an established treatment of IT band syndrome, a common injury among runners and cyclists, is an increase in flexibility of the IT band. A triathlete's core has since been commonly defined as the trans transversius abdominis. A triathlete's core has since been commonly defined as the transversus abdominis, multifidius, multifidius. A triathlete's core has since been commonly defined as the transversus abdominis, multifidius internal oblique paraspinal. Ah, uh, Dave, if you can't pronounce the word, you shouldn't write it.